You're listening to the Unlocking Africa podcast. I tell a lot of people that I never had a finance background, so I became an accidental fund manager. We just have a passion for helping the middle class and mass affluent create wealth. So we have a saying that you're just one sickness away from poverty or one catastrophe because we don't have those social safety nets. We don't believe a lot in insurance. So I literally became self-taught, reading the resources, learning about investment. At Volition Cap, we created a new fund management model that is homegrown, designed in Africa and was developed by Africans. Stay tuned as we bring you inspiring people who are unlocking Africa's economic potential. You're listening to the Unlocking Africa podcast with your host, Tessa Adamu. Welcome to the Unlocking Africa podcast, where we find inspirational people who are doing inspirational things to unlock Africa's economic potential. Today, we have Shubumi Plumta, who is co-founder of Volition Cap, which is a private equity company that is helping the honest and hardworking create purposeful wealth in Africa. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast, Shubumi. How are you? Thank you so much, Tessa. I'm doing great. Fantastic. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. How's your week been so far? Uh, it's been interesting, lots to do, <laughs> but I'm doing okay. It's always good to be busy. Yeah. I'm not sure if you've listened to the podcast before, but I usually like to start from the beginning. So I was hoping you could introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about Shubumi Plumta. Okay. Um, hi. So, I mean, my name is Shubumi. I've lived in Africa all my life, but now I'm currently working out of the U.S., So I actually have a science background. Interestingly, I I tell a lot of people that I never had a finance background. So I became an accidental fund manager, (laughs) the CEO of an asset management um, company because Volition Cap has now transitioned from private equity to asset management. Um, So it's interesting how my journey started having a science background, moving into research and then consulting digital marketing, and then I found my way into finance. So I've had a very interesting career and a very interesting journey. So that's just a little bit about my background. I currently am the co-founder of a global ventures and finance company. Um, So our asset management company is actually one out of four different companies um, scattered in different countries around the globe. So that's in a nutshell who I am. I'm left and right brained, both creative and analytical. I write music, I sing. Oh, wow. <laughs> so um, it's just been an interesting journey. So that, that's me in a nutshell. Fantastic. It seems like we have similar paths and interests. I also, from a science background, spent the best part of my early life working in music as a DJ. So we share some common ground. So you detailed there that you're currently living in the US, never had a finance background, but it has led you to co-founding an asset management company, which is Volition Cap. So I was hoping you could tell us a bit more about the company, the work that you're currently doing in Africa and what you hope to achieve. Okay, so in terms of what we're doing in Africa, we really just have a passion for helping the middle class and mass affluent create wealth. And it really just stems from my personal experience. So I I worked in the corporate world for 20 years 
And I just realized that I wasn't paying attention to my investments. I wasn't paying attention to my savings. And for those who grew up in Africa, you must realize that we don't have a lot of the social safety nets um, that are available in the West. So we have a saying that you're just one sickness away from poverty or one yes. catastrophe away from poverty because we don't have those you know, social safety nets. We don't believe a lot in insurance. So, I mean, it happens that my parents died after about 15 years in the corporate world. And, you know, I really just couldn't afford to give them the kind of international medical treatment I would have wanted to have. And that for me was kind of like a wake up call. You know, there were others like me who had very little knowledge of investment, growing you know, generational wealth. So I really just went on a journey of discovery. Like I literally knocked on doors. Um, I remember in those days, I would dress up to the nines, boldly walk into a bank or an asset management institution and insist on seeing the head of private banking. <laughs> you know, I would present <laughs> a lot of money. <laughs> and it was simply because I wanted to get information how the wealthy build assets, how, how they actually create their investment portfolios. I wanted that information. So I literally became self-taught, reading the resources, learning about investment, and it eventually wrote my SEC qualifying exams and became a licensed fund manager. So a lot of it came from my personal experience, not wanting people to go through the same things I went through. It's the same reason why I have an investment course that is available free of charge online, and about 5,000 people have taken that course for free. So that's also my way of just giving back and helping the middle class and the mass affluent understand investments and build a better future, you know, for their children and generations to come. Fantastic. Thank you for that. So you've mentioned that the work that you're doing came from your passion and personal experience and you are self-taught, which has enabled you to become a qualified asset manager, which is amazing. I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, you're working to bring financial prosperity to the African and diaspora and middle class. Why do you feel it is important to increase financial prosperity to this specific social group? I think for me, when you look at Africa and the diaspora as a whole, I mean, apart from the fact that we sit on a strategically important continent, which is Africa. And when you look at the economic contributions of Africa to the world, and you look at the sheer population you know, of Africans and African immigrants around the world, um, I mean, the African Development Bank says that approximately 34% of Africa's population will have transitioned from the lower class to the middle class over the last 30 years. And in terms of the global population, this you know, middle class group will have increased to about 62% of the population, according to the United Nations, by 2028. So it's a significantly powerful group, not just globally, but in terms of the share of Africa as part of that global group. And like I always say, the middle class is the engine of any economy. We're the ones that literally start, you know, the most amount of small and medium scale businesses in the countries that, you know, we're located in. Um, in terms of even employment, the contribution to employment of those small and medium scale businesses, it's enormous. 
When you look at the African continent, remittances to Africa from the immigrant populations scattered around the world, just to give you an example, in Nigeria, where I'm originally from, remittances account for more foreign exchange in the country than oil. You know, and everyone knows Nigeria is a major oil producing country. But remittances from average middle class professionals scattered around the world contribute more to our foreign exchange earnings than oil. So that tells you the economic power of the middle class. If you can galvanize this demographic, help them to become financially literate, help them to create generational wealth, the impact on Africa in terms of businesses and in terms of families that will be transformed, I mean, it's phenomenal. So you've detailed the importance and also the financial power or potential of the African middle class, which is very clear to understand. So what challenges does this social group encounter when trying to build financial prosperity? Okay, I mean, the first that I've alluded to is, you know, lack of financial literacy. A lot of us are intimidated by numbers. <laughs> so if <laughs> you don't have true. a finance background, you know, a lot of us didn't like maths in school. <laughs> so, you know, so just being intimidated by finance. I mean, so a lot of what we're trying to do is to democratize investment education, gamify it, make it fun, make it simple, make it interesting, you know, so that a lot more Africans will embrace financial knowledge and will be able to ask the right questions. So when you meet your banker or you meet your, your you know, financial planner, you need to be armed with personal knowledge so that you can ask them the right questions so they don't take you for granted or take you for, for a ride. So that's the number one challenge. The second challenge is access. So a lot of the best investment deals are actually accessed by high net worth individuals and private equity funds. And that is why for us at Volition Cap, we created a new fund management model that is homegrown. It was designed in Africa, came out of Africa, and was developed by Africans. Brilliant. And that is we began to use local cooperatives to build private equity funds. So what we would do is pull small amounts of money from the middle class and the mass affluent and create accredited and institutional funds And those funds would have the same seat at the table as any private equity fund or any institutional fund and get the same rates, the same returns. And we would pass on those benefits to the individual middle class contributors that were members of this cooperative. And that's a model we created in Africa. So access is is very important and has always been a challenge and financial literacy. Awesome. So yeah, you've detailed lack of financial literacy and access to private funds are some of the challenges faced by the African middle class. So if we look at that aspect, could you give us a bit more details with regard to the activities you're engaged in to enable them to build their financial literacy and understanding of what is required to build this wealth? Okay, so I mean, primarily we do that through our investment courses. So, like I mentioned, the, these courses are free and are available on you know via our website, you know, for anyone across Africa or the diaspora to take. So that's like a major, major um, initiative. Um, we also have webinars, particularly diaspora webinars, because a lot of Africans in diaspora don't know the power of having dual citizenship yes. or having two passports. 
the fact that you can invest not just in your adopted country, so to speak, but you can also invest in your home country or across the globe using your second passport. So it's a webinar series um, that we're hosting, particularly focused on the diaspora, to show them that they can actually have the best of both worlds, you know, in terms of um, investment. They can get tax benefits based on their investments back home, based on the the trusts, the family trusts that they set up back home. So these are some of the ways that we're democratizing um, investment knowledge and we're teaching Africans and Africans in diaspora about investment. So I guess one of the key themes is that the work that you're doing is about making impact on the continent and also outside the continent. Mm -hmm. How do you go about measuring the impact that you're making within this specific social group? Okay. Um, I always say we have just one metric. (laughs) Brilliant. And that is how many clients have attained financial independence. And financial independence for us is how many of them can afford day-to-day expenses from the returns on their investment. So without even touching their normal cash flow and all of that, just the monies they invest, the returns they get from those investments, are they able to take care of daily expenses? Because that is truly financial independence. So every year we do a poll where we ask our clients to what extent have we empowered you to attain financial independence. And as long as that number is going up, you know, <laughs> we know we've had it. It's positive. Right now, we're at 45% of our clients saying they've been able to achieve between 25% to 100% um, in terms of financial independence. So they fall somewhere within that spectrum after about five years. So it means we are moving the needle, we are having an impact, and we'll continue to measure that every year. Brilliant. Keep it nice and simple. At the beginning of the conversation, you mentioned that yourself, Volition Cap, is an SEC licensed firm. So for the listeners that don't understand what that means, what does it mean and what credibility does it add to what you're doing? Okay, it simply means we've met all the regulatory stipulations to function as a regulated asset manager in Nigeria, which means we can support Africa. Uh, We can also support the diaspora because we have strategic partnerships with our other companies in the U.S., um, in the Cayman Islands, in Mauritius and in Dubai. So we truly have a global scope. I mean, our fund managers have passed all the requisite exams in terms of compliance, due diligence, the ability to advise on investments. We've met the minimum capitalization base and even exceeded it, you know, in in terms of, of our capitalization. So it kind of gives us a credible base. Um, because it means that the regulator has checked all our systems, our processes, our capitalization, our competencies, and they've certified us as fit to offer services to the general public. Fantastic. So the SEC license gives you full credibility with regards to what you do in fund and treasury management, Mm -hmm. investment planning. So can you kind of talk us through what you do with regards to, say, fund and treasury management, investment planning, just a very top line level? Okay, so I mean, in addition to helping individuals create wealth, we also provide services to businesses 
and to other cooperatives and funds that want to professionally design their portfolios. So you have a lot of funds out there where you have family investments, you have businesses that are sitting on excess cash flow and they're wondering, well, where do we invest this? You know, how do we <laughs> maximize um, yes. the value of, of this excess cash flow? So we, we can actually provide those services, help you design your portfolio, help you set up your internal treasury um, system and help you even implement that to you know manage your your investment. So it's it's for institutions, organizations, and family trust as well as cooperatives. So you've given us great insights into what you do with regards to fund and treasury management and investment planning. So if you look at it in terms of working with people, how can people access your services and what is the minimum initial investment required to get started? For individuals, I mean, I would typically advise you go through the cooperative because that has a very low barrier to entry. Um, and, you know, the minimum is $100. And, you know, okay. subsequently every month you can actually just, you know, top up with $10. You know, so that's very accessible to most Africans and Africans in diaspora. And, and the website for that is volitioncoop.com. So that's C-O-O-P, volitioncoop. Um, dot com. For larger institutions, um, you might decide to go through the asset management institution. But like I've mentioned, a lot of those services are for businesses, cooperatives, fund managers, um, and other types of organizations, as well as family trusts. So the website for that is Volition Cap dot com cap volition cap so it's a custom service so really there's no minimum entry per se we just look at your organization or your family portfolio and then they work with you to design that so it usually comes with a custom planning session um, where you have fund managers um, on the call it can be done remotely via zoom or any video platform and we look at your specific needs and then design a portfolio for you and then discuss the implementation next steps fantastic so once people have accessed your services and you've raised money from investors for the purpose of investing typically what sectors and markets do you tend to invest in okay so really depending on whether it's in africa or outside africa so in africa agriculture and real estate are major markets um, and asset classes for us simply because those are very vibrant sectors in Africa. Commodities as well um, is quite big in Africa. Outside of Africa, we do a lot of USD real estate through our US um, company. We have a, a registered real estate fund in the US. So that's one of the things that we invest in, particularly for you know Africans and diaspora who are in the US and would um, like to just do a US-based investment. Um, so that's something that we've set up. And then globally, we, we have a, a fund, a, a global fund in the Cayman Islands for those who would like to take advantage of structured tax benefits, particularly businesses um, who, you know, for businesses, tax is quite a big issue for them. So we, we have a Cayman Island um, structure that helps you to become more tax efficient. And that's a global fund with a, a minimum entry of $5,000. So in terms of asset classes, we have a dedicated trading desk as well. Okay. Um, so we can trade equities, we, we trade forex, cryptocurrencies, fixed income funds. It's a professionally managed desk with a Pan-African team. So we, we have a team that comes from Nigeria, 
Kenya, Zambia, South Africa. It's, it's truly Pan-African. <laughs> Brilliant. So really, these are the asset classes that we have core specializations in. Fantastic. You mentioned that agriculture and real estate are sectors of interest when investing in Africa. So if you look at the investments, what criteria do you tend to use to evaluate potential investments? Okay, so because we have a private equity background, so before we became an SEC licensed asset management firm, we were actually a private equity firm. So a lot of our investments, we, we tend to manage them end to end or as joint ventures with other organizations. So in in terms of the criteria, one of the things we we look at, um, obviously potential return will be one of the the criteria we look at. But a lot of times we look at the potential to co-manage the project because we want to be able to bring our expertise in in risk management creations as well, um, just to be sure that that particular deal is, is well run and has a good exit for our investors. So for us in agriculture, once we have those two factors in place, um, we also look at export potential because a lot of the value, when you look at the agriculture value chain, a lot of the value is not in production. As you move up the value chain from production to processing and then eventually to export, the value actually increases. So we're very interested in agriculture propositions that have an export um, component because, again, that's also um, USD denominated in terms of the the income because of it's exported and then um, sold and denominated in USD. So that's really what we look out for in agriculture, just as as a particular example. Brilliant. So a key area you touched upon is that you like to bring in your expertise when evaluating potential investments. So if we look at the markets, do the markets in which you invest relate to the markets where you are currently active or does that not matter? Um, It doesn't matter because, like I said, because we have a Pan-African team, we're able to have an insight into multiple markets. Um, We're also particular about risk, managing risk. So we diversify as much as possible. So if you remember what I said, we have a U.S. real estate fund. And at the same time, we have a private global fund in the Cayman Islands. And those are two completely diverse environments, even in terms of regulation. They're completely different. And that's because we're trying to manage risk on behalf of our clients. So it's it's something that we're very big on um, because, again, Africa, by its very nature, is a very risky environment, even though it has huge returns. So the risk kind of correlates with the potential returns. Um, But again, as prudent fund managers, it's our job to really just balance all of those risks. So I would say in terms of location and in terms of where those assets are located, it's actually quite diverse. Fantastic. So you detail that you're particular about managing risk. So if you look at the continent, what risks and challenges do you tend to face when trying to invest the money raised in African markets? The major risk is political. That, okay. That's um, the major risk in Africa. It's, it's not really a lot of the other challenges like logistics, infrastructure and so on can be surmounted. But I think policy is an area that you cannot predict So you can literally go to sleep and wake up and and like the policy has changed. (laughs) 
um, overnight. <laughs> True. Um, again, this speaks to why we have diverse funds across different countries just to manage those sort of policy risks. Um, another major risk is law enforcement, where you're able to get a speedy resolution, maybe to contract disputes and things like that. Again, there are ways we've managed that by registering a lot of our structures, both in the continent and outside of the continent, so that we have multiple jurisdictions. So that for us is a major risk because things can happen. Disputes happen in any country. But the difference is that in the West, when you have a dispute, chances are there's a proper process in terms of law enforcement and you know the judiciary, and you can literally predict how long that resolution process is going to take. But sometimes in Africa, you can't really predict how long um, the dispute resolution is going to take. And that is a major risk for investments in Africa. Thank you for sharing, Dashi Brumi. So you mentioned that the biggest risk in Africa tends to be political. So if we look at other risks such as COVID-19 pandemic and the current economic downturn, how has that impacted the work that you do and how has Volition Cap adapted to these challenges? Okay, so in terms of COVID-19 and, and you know, things like that that are from left field. <laughs> yes, very left field. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that the major challenge that we had to deal with in Africa was just operational capacity. Okay. So again, it may be due to maybe challenges um, in terms of just the kinds of things we've had to deal with in Africa. It may also speak to the depth of management capacity in some countries simply because of the educational system. So a lot of those risks were just really the ability to adapt particularly from our third-party partnerships and collaborators, the inability to adapt to such a, an unusual situation. Um, because when you look at it, that was a very, very great opportunity for Africa in terms of Africa is one of the food baskets of the world. So in terms of our ability to have responded to that crisis in terms of supplies, in terms of the commodities that we have in Africa, because at that time, essential goods were booming. So if you were selling food, if you were selling healthcare, <laughs> if you were selling, I mean, just essential products, <laughs> you know, were like booming. Very true. Yeah, so it would have been a, such a fantastic opportunity. And remember, we did have the same COVID rates that the rest of the world had. Our, our rates were pretty low compared to the rest of the world. So we didn't have a lot of the, the, the extensive lockdowns that other countries had. So we could have been one of the major suppliers to the world during COVID. But again, like I said, you know, operational capacity and that ability to mine an opportunity in the midst of a crisis you know, I think that was a major, major challenge, which then impacted us because we had a lot of partnerships with African, you know, suppliers, African partners and collaborators. Interesting, interesting. So you mentioned the biggest challenge presented were operational and also the ability to adapt, but also it presented some opportunities. So can you talk about any exciting upcoming opportunities or projects that Volition Cap is currently working on? I think in terms of what is exciting for us, um, two areas excite us. Commodities, like I've mentioned, because Africa really just sits 
on a lot of valuable commodities, not just agricultural commodities, but also minerals, um, solid mineral instruments. Um, so that for us presents a huge opportunity because it's a, it's a really untapped market. We're beginning to see African nations insist that battery manufacturers, for example, as opposed to just exporting solid minerals, that they actually set up those battery factories within um, Africa. So that sector battery technology and the commodities that kind of fuel that industry, that's, that's extremely important to us. Renewable energy is also extremely important to us, again, because Africa in terms of you know, sunlight, in terms of the oceans, um, we actually have a lot of untapped potential for renewable energy. And then finally, cryptocurrency excites us simply because um, there's a huge unbanked population in Africa and, you know, the use of alternative asset classes, cryptocurrency, blockchain, um, that's an area that could be interesting um, in terms of helping to improve financial adoption and financial access within Africa. So I would say those are the three areas that really interest us. Um, commodities in, in, as it relates to battery technology, renewable energy, and then cryptocurrency. Fantastic, fantastic. So if we look specifically with regards to, I guess, private equity asset management, mm -hmm. are there any trends in that space with regards to Nigeria or Africa that you're seeing that you're excited about? Oh, yes. And we're creating the trend um, by leveraging local cooperatives for fund management and asset management. Like I said, it's never been done before. It's something we pioneered and it's something we're championing uh, because we feel like Cooperatives are native to Africans. We yes. understand collaboration and joint savings. It's something we've always done, whether in markets, in, in farming communities. Um, so it's something we understand. You know? <laughs> yes, definitely. I, I think for me, I've just never understood why we never thought we could use it for fund management. It seems rather obvious, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. But I, I think for me, that's the new trend, particularly because, like I said, Africans in diaspora who have dual citizenship can participate in local cooperatives back home. So that, for me, is an exciting handshake between the African community and the diaspora community in terms of leveraging those remittances, not just for taking care of expenses back home, but leveraging remittances as investments. And when you invest your remittances, you can then take care of issues back home from the returns on those investments. Yes. So it's an exciting proposition um, that we're hoping to build out across Africa and across the diaspora. So I think that for us is a major thing that will come out of Africa. Thank you for sharing that. So if we look past current trends and look into the future, the future of Africa, what are your expectations for Africa's financial prosperity specifically for the middle class, say, in the next five years? I think it's really endless because, again, when you look at our population base in Africa and even the rate of reproduction in Africa, we have a lot more young people than old in Africa. Yes. So it means that in terms of the working population, the strength of that population, it's immense. And then we have a lot of young people that are now thinking of themselves as entrepreneurs and not just people who work in the corporate sector alone. So we're going to see a lot more unicorns come out of Africa. We're going to see a lot more African businesses listed on global stock exchanges simply because they're solving big problems. Yes. 
So I think for us, in terms of Africa, we're looking to the entrepreneurial spirit of Africans. And we're also looking to the fact that we're going to power a lot of entrepreneurial pursuits, corporate pursuits, whether it's in terms of remote working as well. We have a lot of Africans now that are global workers from Africa, you know, simply (laughs) because of the power of the internet. So we're going to see a lot more of remote working using African resources. Awesome. Awesome. So if we look closer to home... Where do you see yourself in Volition Cap in five years' time? In five years' time at Volition Cap, we would have offered at least 50,000 people our free investment course so that we're pushing that mandate of financial literacy. Um, in terms of numbers, I mean, we would have created a multi-billion dollar fund that is powered by African cooperatives. That for us are the, are the two big wins um, over the next five years. I guess just trying to wrap it all up in terms of when all is said and done, what kind of legacy or footprint do you hope to leave on the continent? For us, it's impact. So like I said, we track how many people have achieved financial independence because of our products or because of the work that we do at Volition Camp. And that impact goes beyond the individual. It, 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 it goes into families. So one of the testimonials that we received um, at Volition Cap was a family that could afford to send their kids to an Ivy League university from the returns of their on their investment with Volition Cap. Oh wow! So I think for me that speaks to impact that goes beyond just the individual, but begins to creep into families, begins to expand to generations. Um, so yes, that's the legacy we want to leave at the end of 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. When we read those testimonials, we're going to hear of people who were able to build businesses from the returns of, of their investment. That, that for us is real legacy and real impact. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Quote of the week. As people, we often have quotes, mantras, African proverbs or affirmations that keep us going when times are challenging or when times are good. Do you have one that you can share with us today? Oh, yes. So in my language, Anoriki is kind of like a statement that captures who you are. It captures your destiny. It captures your characteristics and the kind of person you are. And my Oriki is Okonshosho Araba, Tomikbo Kijikiji. And it means a single mighty tree whose influence is felt throughout the forest. Wow. Yeah. That was powerful. Thank you. (laughs) Brilliant, brilliant. I love that. So as we're coming towards the end of today's conversation, do you have any closing remarks, final calls to action for people who are interested in the work and the service that you're providing at Volition Cap? Yes, I would really just encourage them um, to take our free financial um, literacy course and just, you know, learn about the stuff that we do. And like I said, the logical starting point is volitioncoop.com. So that's V-O-L-I-T-I-O-N-C-O-O-P, volitioncoop.com. And just learn about investing for yourself, for your family, for your business, and just begin to implement a savings and investment plan. That's what I'll have to say. Awesome. Awesome. What a great way to end today's conversation. It's been an extremely enlightening and educational discussion. Thank you. It's a conversation that is needed and I think a social group that is sometimes missed or ignored and you're offering a service that is having an extremely positive impact. So 
I'll be keeping a close eye on Volition Cap and hope things work out really well. I'm sure they will, but looking forward to further updates. Thanks a lot, Tessa. Fantastic. Thank you, Shibumi. My pleasure. We'll speak soon. Bye-bye. Thank you to everyone who has listened and stayed tuned to the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share or tell a friend about it. You can also rate, review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your podcast. Thank you and see you next week for the Unlocking Africa podcast. Unlocking Africa.